1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: 2020 was a crazy year in the U.S., There was the advent of COVID, the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter mass protests and a bitter presidential election. So 2021 was calmer, right? Not even from day one. Exactly one year ago today, supporters of the defeated President Donald Trump rampaged through the US Capitol in Washington DC in an effort to stop Joe Biden taking office and plunging America into a fresh crisis. So could a new administration and an apparently safer pair of hands belonging to President Joe Biden calm things down and bring some normality back to the national discourse?
3: And together we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity.
2: Or, one year on from the attack on the Capitol, has American public life been altered forever? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, how 2021 changed America and what comes next.
4: Everyone was expecting 2021 to be the year that the US calmed down. We've had four years of Donald Trump which have been off anyone's chart in terms of oddness and uh, strangeness as far as politics is concerned. But in actual fact, the, the 6th of January set the tone for the rest of the year and it's been anything but quiet.
2: Alastair Dauber is the Washington correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times, he arrived in the States for his tour of duty shortly after the events at the Capitol and the subsequent swearing-in of the new Biden administration.
4: It's been an incredible year, a remarkable year, both because Trump is still around and hasn't gone away as many people expected him to, but also because of the performance of the incumbent government as well.
2: Now, normally what would happen in the January following the election year is you have the inauguration of a new president. The old president says, well, we might have been opponents, but actually wish you the very best, help you kind of get on with it, and then fades from the scene. And the absolute opposite happens. So let's look back at that process.
4: On the day that the formal certification process of Joe Biden's victory took place in Congress, which is a very formal process and quite ceremonial. The House will be in order. involves the vice president certifying all the votes. As he was doing that, Donald Trump made a speech in front of the White House, in front of rather a large crowd.
5: We're gonna walk down and I'll be there with you. We're gonna walk down to the Capitol and we're gonna cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not gonna be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never Take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong.
4: And then that crowd went down to Congress and effectively rioted through the Capitol building. They stormed into... Uh, the House of Representatives, the Senate. They threatened many of the elected representatives who were there to count the vote, and five people ended up losing their lives.
2: You could imagine that when something so catastrophic happens, what would then happen is that the politicians would stand back and say, that's a bit kind of awful, we didn't want for that to happen. And then the outgoing person would say, I'm going to kind of step back and hand over to you. But it still didn't happen.
5: I know you pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other
4: side. But you have to go home now. No, not a bit of it. Donald Trump has said that violence has no place in American democracy, but that's about as far as he's gone in terms of any sort of condemnation. His particular brand of politics, his followers, many of them have referred to it as legitimate protest, and have completely overlooked the fact that police officers were beaten up, people were killed, the symbols of American democracy were attacked, and that's still to be prosecuted. I mean, though there are various ways in which Donald Trump can face legal censure, along with many of his officials. But still, it's become a chasm in American politics, the events of January the 6th.
2: Anastasia, has it continued to be a belief on the part of some Republicans and President Trump's contention that the election was stolen? Are they still saying that?
4: That is absolutely central to a Trumpian philosophy, I've been to see Donald Trump three times at rallies over the course of this year, where he's had tens of thousands of supporters packed into fairgrounds and venues across various states. And that is absolutely central to their argument.
5: We have to hold those that are responsible for the 2020 presidential election scam. It was a scam. More is being found out and uncovered every single day, not only in Arizona, but all over the country. And actually, we won by a lot. They rigged the election, and now, based on the rigged election, they're destroying our country.
4: And Donald Trump himself tries to list all this evidence he has to explain the fact that in various states, the election was stolen. That is still absolutely central to a Republican philosophy at the moment.
2: Now, let's switch focus a bit, because a new president came in. On the basis, I think a lot of people thought that he would restore a sense of normality and comparative competence to the White House. Insofar as we can at all measure these things, how far has he been able to achieve that? How far has he taken America back to the pre-Trump period
4: that's exactly why Joe Biden was elected exactly the platform he stood on. To the extent that he's achieved that, he's toned down personality politics in the US. It's very much a collegiate effort now in his administration. He's very much targeted at getting legislation through Congress and returning to some semblance of what we've always regarded as normal US politics. He's had problems, though. In the Senate, he's got only the tiniest of majorities, which means the vast majority of bills need the support of at least 10 Republicans. And because there's such a schism in American politics between the two parties at the moment, he's really struggling in many regards to get his agenda through.
2: How far has that impacted upon how Americans are
4: able to see him? He came in on the platform of being able to pull all the levers in Washington, of being able to uh, negotiate across the aisle. Some of his close friends are Republican senators and, and members of the House. That was his cell. But because of the arithmetic, because of the divisions, he's not been able to do much of this at all. I mean, his his flagship bill is the infrastructure bill, which is designed to, on the one hand, improve lots of bridges, roads, airports, all the rest of it, but then also to spend a lot of money on climate issues and, and car charging points and this sort of thing, wind farms. He's really, really struggled to get this through. So a lot of voters are looking at Joe Biden and saying, well, you were the guy that was supposed to take us back to what was, quote unquote, normal. But we haven't achieved that either. So what exactly is the benefit of a Biden presidency? And when you've got a good proportion of the members of Congress are publicly supportive of Trump, it doesn't harm them at all back in their constituencies, in their states to be the ones putting the block on Joe Biden's socialist agenda as they would have it.
2: In Britain, we often talk about the honeymoon that politicians get and they talk about it lasting a year or so
4: and so on. Yeah.
2: Are you saying that Americans haven't even really given Biden a year?
4: I mean, you look at Biden's approval ratings, they're down in the low 40s, which is bad. In fact, I think only Trump was lower at this stage. Back in
3: December, I set a goal of administering 100 million shots in my first 100 days in office. At the time, some told us that it couldn't be done. It was awfully ambitious, but we did it in 58 days.
4: Joe Biden we got off to a decent start. So he did very well with rolling out coronavirus vaccines. And so I set a second goal, to deliver 200
3: million shots in my first 100 days in office. Today, we did it. Today, we hit 200 million shots
4: in the 92nd day in office. They introduced a very important piece of legislation that goes under the radar, but an Asian-American hate crimes bill, which specifically outlawed race crimes against Asian-Americans. He had a climate summit, albeit virtually, in the summer, and he was seen to be doing very, very well. I think there's one thing in particular that has sent Joe Biden's ratings absolutely plummeting, and that was what happened in Afghanistan over the summer.
2: Now, that's really interesting because I remember asking people at that time whether or not the Afghanistan debak would impact upon American politics. Yeah. And I was assured by nearly all of them that it wouldn't. And what you're telling me is that it did.
4: Well, there's a correlation certainly between the drop-off in his approval ratings and what happened in Kabul specifically over the summer. America's
3: attempt to export liberal democracy to Afghanistan is well and truly over.
4: And Joe Biden's prediction from five weeks ago that everything would be just fine has not worn well. You need to look at it in two different ways. The withdrawal of American troops from a 20-year-long war, where it's very difficult to see any tangible successes, is a good thing. We'll play very well with voters. I went to Scranton, Joe Biden's hometown, the week after the withdrawal happened. And people were generally supportive of the idea that the troops were coming home, the war that's cost over a trillion dollars was ending, and no more American boots on the ground in Afghanistan. But when you then start having American soldiers coming back in body bags, and I'm referring specifically to the 13 Marines that were killed at the gates to the airport when the suicide bomb went off,
1: Good afternoon, and we are coming on the air at this hour with breaking news, and it's difficult. The latest details in the bomb attack outside the airport in Kabul. I
4: think that was the moment that changed everything.
1: We have just learned from the Pentagon that a number of US service members were killed at the Kabul airport. A number of others are being treated for wounds.
4: People could forgive the fact that it seemed to be done in a hurry and it was botched because the troops were coming home until the 13 Marines were killed.
2: Did it make Biden seem weak, and less competent, even if people had actually generally agreed with the policy.
4: I think it's an issue of competence. It was this idea that the Americans were coming home, job done, and the 20-year war was over. But when American lives are lost, then there's an issue of competence. He went to one of the Air Force bases near Washington for the repatriation of the bodies, and at one point was seen looking at his watch as the caskets were being brought off the plane. So again, that played very badly. And once you then add things like him being incapable, it seems, of getting his legislative agenda through Congress, you've got coronavirus, which... Albeit isn't his fault, a lot of Americans still haven't had vaccines, but coronavirus isn't going away, there are still restrictions. And then the economy as well, the economy is beginning to struggle, partly as a result of coronavirus, but nonetheless, Americans are feeling a pinch in the pocket. And all this combined has really led to a dent in his popularity.
2: What about the political impact of what's been happening on immigration? You've been down to the Mexican border in Texas a couple of times. What were you seeing there, and how has the kind of things that you were seeing there impacted on politics in America.
4: It's an open border. Every single month this year, there's been a record number of people crossing the border.
0: Thousands of refugees and migrants trekking by foot out of southern Mexico with hopes of getting to the United States. Most of them from Haiti, Honduras and El Salvador have been waiting here for asylum papers to be processed.
4: And this is playing very badly in the border area itself. Various local resources, clinics and and so forth are struggling to cope with the numbers, but also nationally as well. People see America as a soft touch and people see people coming across the border when they're not supposed to. Many of them are feared to be bringing coronavirus with them. And also a lot of the politicians, I mean, take Ted Cruz, for example, who's a Uh, a fairly well-known senator from Texas. He talks about security threats and terrorists coming across the border and how it's open for anyone to come into America who fancies it and they don't have to pay their taxes and they don't have to pay due process. It plays very, very badly. And Joe Biden has put his deputy, Kamala Harris, the vice president, in charge of stemming people coming across the border. And it has to be said at the moment, it's a total failure.
2: Does anybody have any idea apart from sticking up a great big wall, how anybody could address
4: it. I think it's fairly well considered now that sticking up a great big wall doesn't work. They've tried lots of different things. They've talked tough language, don't come. America's not a welcoming place and you won't be an easy ride when you get here.
0: I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come do
4: not come. Kamala Harris has been to Central America. She went to Guatemala and to Mexico to try and persuade the governments there with various carrots and sticks to stem the tide of people coming. But it's not working. The administration doesn't want to be seen to be doing what Trump did, like you say, building a wall. But because it's not able to address the situation properly, more and more people are coming and it's becoming politically very costly for them.
2: You're talking about Carmel Harris um, mm-hmm. there, and a lot of people had seen her as, and may still see her as, a potential future president. Mm-hmm. Is it your view that actually she was given the most impossible brief in order to yeah. try and build her reputation?
4: I think she's been given some tough jobs to prove her mettle. And at the moment, from her point of view, it's not working. The other task she's taken on, which is troublesome for her, is voting rights as well. And many Republican states are trying to curtail, Democrats would argue, the ease with which people can vote. And her job has been to try and combat that. But again, because it's been done at a state level and the federal government doesn't have support it needs in the Congress, she's struggling to address that issue as well. Her opinion polls, like the president's, are in the low 40s. I mean, the LA Times does a a tracker poll, and it's just been heading gradually further and further south over the course of the year. People have definitely talked about her as being a future president, and indeed, there's been quite a lot of chat even in the last month that Biden wouldn't stand in 2024, he insists he will do, and that her name is obviously, as the vice president, front and centre of any list of potential successors. But if that were to happen and Biden were to stand down she would need some dramatic successes over the next three years, pretty quickly.
2: So that's the situation facing the Democrats. Coming up, we'll take a look at the Republicans and their prospects for the year ahead. But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup and every day on my show on Times Radio we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics.
1: We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
2: So with Joe Biden's Democrats facing a battery of challenges ahead of this year's midterm elections, what about their rivals, the Republicans? Just one year on from the siege of the Capitol, what are their chances of making critical gains in Congress this November? And crucially, is the GOP still totally the party of Donald J. Trump?
4: He has the party in what I think can only be described as a vice-like grip. There are dissenting voices, but they are quiet and they are few and far between. There were 10 Republican congressmen and women that voted to impeach Donald Trump after January the 6th. They are being picked off one by one and they are being blotted out as a voice within the party. You look at polls, I think it's about 70% of registered Republicans want Trump to be the candidate in 2024. I think it's more than half of Republicans still think he's the legitimate president. If Donald Trump wants to stand as the Republican candidate in 2024, and I think that's by no means certain yet, despite the rhetoric, he will find it very, very comfortable. And if it isn't going to be Trump, it's going to be someone who very much endorses Trump's policies and ideas. We'll have to wait, I think, until probably the start of 2023, to learn exactly whether he intends to stand. But if he doesn't, and chooses instead to be some sort of kingmaker within the party, you can guarantee that the sort of old traditional centrist, moderate Republican, whoever might represent that wing of the party by the time of the next election, will really struggle to find a voice.
2: Why would he not want to stand?
4: because he might lose again. It's taken a monumental effort to try and get this narrative that the election was stolen out there and to maintain it and continue it and to persuade people. It might be incredibly difficult to do it twice. Trump will also be, I think, 77 by the time of the next election. So this argument that Biden's too old, which is one he uses regularly in various different colourful ways, will then apply to him as well. And he may decide that he's been through it, he's done it, and he doesn't want to enter the fray anymore, and it's much more comfortable to be at Mar-a-Lago over the winter rather than the White House.
2: Well, couldn't he be president and still be in Mar-a-Lago? Because essentially, if he gets elected, he can do whatever he wants.
4: Well, at the moment, he's hinting very, very much that he's going to stand again. But we're still two years away from the first primary at the start of 2024. A lot can happen between now and then, and the polls can change. I think it very much depends on how the candidates that he's backing in the midterms do. If they romp home and form a large caucus in Congress, then I think that will give him the encouragement he probably needs to go again.
2: What about all these various legal cases and criminal inquiries? Are they going anywhere? Could any of them potentially derail him?
4: There's a Department of Justice inquiry into Trump's behaviour. There's the Congressional Committee that's looking at what happened, although he he'd already dismissed that as biased. And then there's at least two criminal probes in New York, both the city and the state, that are looking at his business dealings and the Trump Corporation. But of course, it also would play to his strengths in some ways as well. He will talk endlessly about knocking down the barriers, and this is the establishment trying to suppress the rightful president and someone who carries a lot of support in the country, which undoubtedly does.
2: Now, before we look forward to 2024, can we just take a look at some of the other really interesting things that appear to have be been happening in America which could have an effect upon the political scene? For example, the way in which changes in the labour market as a result of the impact of COVID have had a really kind of substantial effect in certain areas.
4: It's very, very difficult for employers at the moment to hire people in relatively low-skilled, low-paid, minimum-wage jobs. A lot of people got quite generous checks through the post from the government as coronavirus stimulus payments, which ran into thousands of dollars. A lot of people obviously were told not to come into work, and a lot of restaurants and shops and stores were closed. The evidence suggests that a lot of these people just aren't coming back to work. It's not really worth their while. That's had quite a significant effect. I mean, first of all, the federal minimum wage has been increased quite substantially. And employers are throwing all sorts of offers at people to try and get them to start. I mean, there was a story we did a little while ago about a few McDonald's restaurants in Texas who were offering anyone that joined free iPhones. There's signing on bonuses at Amazon. There's no shortage of jobs, but there's a shortage of people who are willing to do them. And, of course, the impact this has, this is one of the big problems facing Joe Biden and the administration, is it's very inflationary, and prices are rising here pretty quickly. In many cases, American companies are struggling to import goods that they uh, would ordinarily get from overseas, making the cost of living much higher.
2: Under other circumstances, you might think... This would have two beneficial effects for a Biden administration. The first is that people feel better off because they've got more money in their pocket. And the second thing is that a lot of these people will start up new companies, which is what you always tell people you want to do
4: absolutely but it's not really happening a lot of people just aren't going back to work a lot of jobs in places where infection rates are still high where there's a risk to people people just don't see it as worth it people have saved up a lot of money by not spending and not traveling or going anywhere during the lockdown so people have got cash in the bank and jobs in many ways just aren't attractive enough to bring them in whether that leads eventually to people thinking well i've got a bit of cash and i'm going to set up my own business as you suggest maybe that'll happen but that's not feeding through at the moment
2: Let's look at a couple of other factors which complicate things. And the first and most obvious one is race. What do you think has changed, as far as you can tell, from what you might call the high watermark of the Black Lives Matter protests, which followed the murder of George Floyd? Of course, we've had these sort of rather extraordinary cases.
0: Tonight, the crowd outside Cup Foods in Minneapolis erupting in cheers as they learned of Derek Chauvin's conviction in George Floyd's death.
4: Race is obviously still a huge issue here. I think the conviction of Chauvin helped to dampen down the issue politically a little bit. Had Derek Chauvin walked out of the courtroom having been acquitted, I think that could have caused huge social problems here.
2: And then the Rittenhouse case in which the guy who shot two people during a riot was
3: acquitted.
1: We the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse,
3: not guilty. Kyle Rittenhouse (laughs) trembling with emotion. (laughs) as the court clerk read the jury's verdict. A jury acquitted him of all charges, including homicide, attempted
4: homicide, and reckless endangerment. Rittenhouse was an odd one because he crossed the state line with a semi-automatic rifle to a Black Lives Matter demonstration, which he was against, and then was acquitted of murdering two people because he acted in self-defense, so the court found. That's not led to a huge outpouring of anger in a civil rights sense. But it's clearly an issue. we, We have in Portland and in various other cities around the States, there are still fairly aggressive demonstrations from all sides. Race is still a tinderbox issue here, although it's calmed down a little over the last six months.
2: And then the other big issue is abortion. The Supreme Court has been looking at cases which some fear will mean the Roe versus Wade judgment of 1973, which made it unconstitutional to deny women the right to abortion, will effectively be put aside. Can you take us through that?
4: I very much suspect that abortion is going to be possibly the biggest issue towards 2024. Various Southern states are trying very hard to get through legislation which limits the ability of women to have an abortion. There's a whole slew of states, about 19, who are looking to push through tighter abortion laws. There were nine judges on the Supreme Court. Six of them now are thought to have a a more conservative bent and three are, are more liberal. And this means they feel that they have their best opportunity since 1973, as you say, to get Roe v. Wade overturned. The Court started hearing a case from Mississippi which wants to in- introduce a 15-week deadline for abortion. We won't know the result until the spring, but the initial comments from the majority of the judges suggested that the court was very much minded to back this new Mississippi law. If that happens... All the other states that want to do the same will pass their legislation and will leave it up to challenge the Supreme Court to overturn it. What that effectively means is that in a large part of the US, abortion will be, if not effectively outlawed, made much, much more difficult.
2: Now, there's always seems to be a paradox here because whenever Americans are polled, a majority of them are in favor of keeping Roe v. Wade. And yet Anti abortion figures talk and act as if that wasn't the case and as if somehow they represented the majority. How does that work itself out in political terms?
4: Nationally, there is a strong majority for maintaining the status quo. But then, if you go to some of the southern states of Tennessee or Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, those majorities change somewhat. And politicians down there who serve in local legislatures often stand purely on the platform of being pro-life and anti-abortion and are very successful politically doing it. The government isn't going to follow suit with a federal law to limit abortion. The current administration is very much four square behind Roe v Wade, but it can't act and it certainly can't act at the moment because of the majority that's too tight in the Senate to introduce federal legislation. So it'll be up to the states to introduce their own. You're now getting pro-life groups who are endorsing individual candidates for the midterms and for local elections in various states. So it's becoming absolutely a central political issue now.
2: Let's now take all these things and push them forward in political terms. You were mentioned the midterms, elections both to the Congress and to the Senate, and also gubernatorial governor elections. How much election happens in a midterm?
4: It's about between half and a third of the seats in Congress will be up for election. And then a similar number of governors as well, the gubernatorial elections, but also a lot of state legislatures. It's a big thing. Not only can it change the makeup of Washington, but it also will set the agenda for the final two years of the administration's term leading up to the election in 2024.
2: What usually happens to the parties of incumbent presidents in the midterms.
4: Voters tend to like to give the White House a bloody nose. Now, that doesn't mean to say that two years further down the track when the president's up for re-election, that the midterms necessarily have a bearing. But because this time the makeup of Congress is so close and the Republicans are almost on a par in both houses, not quite, any switch to Republicans will probably end up leaving them with a majority in both houses, making life much more difficult for Biden.
2: Alistair, one of the things that you get to see, you saw it in the election, you see it again now, are people saying, well, Biden's showing that he's too old and he's not quite up to it and so on. And, you know, is he falling asleep everywhere and so on? What's the truth, as far as we know, behind all that?
4: Well, you get some right-wing Republicans who say that Joe Biden has dementia. First of all, there's absolutely not a jot of evidence to support that. The medical records that have been released show him to be in good health. He's physically obviously very fit and there is no suggestion that he has any sort of mental impairment at all. However, it is a question that gets raised, and it gets raised principally because of his age. I mean, Joe Biden's already the oldest person ever to be present. And at the next election in 2024, he'll be 82, the first person ever to be in their 80s to stand for office. So questions are obviously going to be asked when you look at some of the things that have happened. I mean, when he was introducing the new nuclear-powered submarine deal with the Brits and Australia earlier in the year, he forgot the name of Scott Morrison, the Australian Prime Minister.
3: Thank you, Boris. And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister.
4: At the COP meeting in Glasgow, it looked as though, I mean, it can't be proven, but it looked as though he fell asleep during one of the speeches. I mean, because of his age, people will use it against him. I mean, he's always said that one of the reasons he misspeaks, as the Americans would have it, is that he has a stammer. But, you know, that doesn't really work when you're forgetting the name of the Australian Prime Minister. That's not a stammer, that's just forgetfulness. And people will inevitably put it down to his advanced years.
2: If you were looking to the 2024 election... And you knew that as one party or the other, you needed to win some voters over from the other side. Who represents the swing voters who will decide an election in the US of 2024?
4: These are the people who are embarrassed somewhat by Donald Trump's presidency. They are sceptical about Washington politics and are very cynical about what happens on the Capitol. They are also people who are feeling the pinch as well. The inflation rate is having an impact on them. Their spending power is reduced. And there are people that want to see America back on the front of the world stage. People are embarrassed by what happened in Afghanistan. And I think the economy, American prowess on the world stage, and all the Republicans are able to offer them something so that any sort of lasting embarrassment from the Trump four years will be sort of papered over.
2: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Washington correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Alastair Dorber. And you can read more of Alastair's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Chris Way, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. And you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard? Send us an email to times at See you tomorrow. Planning for your next
0: trip?